Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I have the pleasure, the distinct pleasure of interviewing uh, a friend of mine, a surfing legend in Orange County, the owner of m and uh, Surfing School in Orange County for over 20 years. It's owned by him and his father. Uh, he is he teaches adults, kids and and people with, in, with disabilities. He's very, very involved with the community. And he is a proud father and Navy vet. So uh, thank you so much for being here, Michael. Thank you, Fig. Pleasure's all mine. I appreciate so much. Man. Yeah. So let me tell you. So Mr. Michael Pless here and his dad are they're legends down in Seal Beach. So if anyone ever can go down to Seal Beach and want to take lessons, he is the guy to go to. But they've had a, a pretty amazing business there for over 20 years. And it's been so successful that. Um, he's one of the one of the only only surf schools I instructors I know that actually is affiliated with a city. So um, let me ask you this: um, Where were you born and raised? Born in San Bernardino, California, raised in Huntington Beach, California. And and, we, but, and so when when did you uh, so you, so your parents are from there as well? Uh, my dad was born in uh, Chula Vista, San Diego. And uh, my mother, uh, really not sure where she's from, uh, but I'm pretty sure she's from San Bernardino. So when you were growing up, were you just raised by your dad? That's correct, yes. And you were in, you said Huntington Beach, or were you in, in Chula Vista? Uh, Huntington Beach. My dad was in Chula Vista. I met my mom somewhere in San Bernardino, I guess. He lived out there for maybe a few years, and then we moved out to Huntington Beach. And do you have any brothers and sisters? I have a lot of brothers and sisters. Not full blood, though. I have yeah. two from. I have one sister from my father, uh, two siblings from my my real mom, and then about twelve siblings all together from different marriages with my father. Holy mackerel! So you got a huge family. <laughs> yeah. So 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 how describe your youth growing up? Because you have so much energy and you have so much. Everyone loves you on the beach. I mean, when when they see you, you're just so happy with everybody. You have such a great disposition, kind of like your dad. So how how did how what was it like growing up? Growing up was amazing, especially in the Huntington Beach. Being able to uh, go down to the beach and surf. Um, it was it was a little difficult because you're uh, Huntington Harbor. There was a uh, people had money. And having a single father trying to raise me there, he was uh, always working, just trying to, you know, make ends meet. And uh, kind of came into, like, you know, I never really thought about much. When we moved out there, you know, he was um, struggling to, you know, buy clothes, buy lunch for me. But it was still fun because I surf all the time. And learning to surf, uh, that was a whole different story on its own. Um, How old were you? How old were you when you started learning to surf? Learning to surf? Eighty-four. Um, my father, the real estate broker that sold us the house, Ray Lynch, uh, gave us a beat-up wetsuit that fit me. Um, and my grandmother bought me some like old TNC surf clothes to fit in with the kids down there. And the kids would call me uh, a poser, and I didn't know what that was. So I came home, hey, Dad, the kids are calling me a poser. I go, what's that mean? What's going on? He said, oh, it's probably your clothes. Uh, I mean, that you're pretending to be a surfer and you're not. I'm like, what? And so I took the wetsuit and then had my dad uh, get a board from my uncle. And he borrowed my uncle's board and took me out to Bolsa Chica on a February day, stormy, stormy day. I think it was overcast and cloudy. I still remember it like it was yesterday. 
<laughs> got out there on the board, seven six, Carl Hayward. <laughs> and how and how old were you at the time? Uh, I was about seven years old. So you started surfing at the age of seven, right? Wow. And then who taught you how to surf at seven years old? Um, so my father tried to teach me. Like I said, it was so stormy. The water was so deep. He had me out there. He went, he went down the water with me and he was trying to push me into waves. And every time I, the Carl Haywards were such flat boards. Yeah, it was hard. They're really narrow and they're super thick. And uh, he kept pushing me into waves. I kept nose diving. He was trying to get me out there and finally just asked him to uh, leave me alone for a while. So he kind of, you know, he left me out there. He, he went on the beach, and I remember looking at him from a distance. He was sitting um, Indian style on the beach watching me. And I started catching some whitewash, and eventually, about a half hour, uh, I got up and started riding waves. I was super excited. And so no one taught you how to, how to surf or anything. You just kind of learned how to do pop-ups and everything yourself. And how did you do that? At seven years old, you weren't afraid to be out there in, in, in the ocean? Did you, did you have no. experience? No, I, I took, um, so I think that year, um, the, about that year, the Olympics were in, uh, Los Angeles in the Olympic pool, um, over there in Long Beach. Uh, my dad took me there to take swim lessons and they actually had you jump off the high dive and some really actually scary stuff. And they actually just pushed you in the water and they had you survive. And that might've been my scary, scariest part of like learning to swim was that moment at that pool, but uh, no, it was, it was on the inside. I don't, I don't remember being scared. I was just super excited. I really wanted to do it. I mean, I look back at it. Maybe there were some scary moments, but not till later on. And then what about you? you uh, so when you were in elementary school, um, did most of your friends surf? And how was your elementary school experience like? With you said you said you were, your dad was always kind of working. Um, did you just kind of, were you kind of a latchkey kid? Did you just go to school and just go to yeah, go to activities after. How how did you handle that? All right, so yeah, I was a latchkey kid. Um, I, I I wore a pair of sweatpants, a uh, pair of Payless shoes, and uh, I think even then you could turn a pair of shoes in at Payless. You get a pair free. So you buy one pair, you get that pair free. Um, so I used to tie that. My dad tied the key around my uh, waist, um, and basically from I want to say maybe second or third grade on, um, I'd walk home every day. Um, uh didn't really go surfing by myself just yet not until about maybe fourth or fifth grade i used to ride my skateboard down there because he'd work until six o'clock at night you come home for a little break and you didn't get called back so between about three and four o'clock i'd ride my skateboard down the beach and i'd go surfing um wow. it was it was interesting uh, making vista beans pinto beans and Velveeta cheese were amazing with this uh <laughs> it was it's uh, an omelet <laughs> and then, and then your and your dad, where was he working at the time? He was working for a home health care. He's a respiratory therapist. Uh, so he was always on call and he was like, you'd either be at the hospitals or uh, at a patient's house. And um, he would he would take me on call with him a lot of the times, like especially if he had to work late. Um, I'd sleep in his uh, van in the back. And I mean, he'd take me down to, I mean, we were going down to Watts a few times. And he'd tell me to stay in the back and not get up. And he'd, take respiratory equipment in the 80s and the watts is kind of scary actually <laughs> and then was your dad a surfer at the time too was he teaching surfing at the time or how did he, was I, he what, what did he do no he um so right before i was born uh he surfed all the way up to maybe i was before i was born he got married to my mother he was a 
a real pole climber, the ones that really set the poles up in the lines um, for the phone company. And uh, he took a nasty spill off one, uh, off, a, off one of the poles 35 feet straight down. And they told me he'd never walk again. And so he, he quit that, got his respiratory license. You know, he's in a wheelchair when he first met my mom, I guess, right after they got married and right after they had me. And eventually, after about two or three years, he started walking again and got the job as a respiratory uh, therapist. And uh, three years later, once I, I, I started surfing again, he started surfing again. Wow. That's, so, so you kind of inspired him to start surfing again. So he spent, he surfed many years prior to you. Oh, yeah. Born in. Uh, maybe the late 50s, early 60s. Um, I remember a story. I'm not sure if I'm right on this, but you can correct me. I remember him telling me about him mowing lawns to buy a sur- his first surfboard. The thing weighed like 60 pounds or 80 pounds. They used to have to drag those things across the sand. <laughs> That's amazing. And then when you were in elementary school, did you do pretty well in school or were you focused on activities? What was your kind of focus at that? Do you remember? Difficult for me. Um, I didn't know how to read very well. I was dyslexic. And uh, just trying to get by. Uh, it was hard. It was hard. Um, but I got really fortunate. By the time I got into about fifth grade, there was a couple of ladies in the neighborhood where we lived in Huntington Harbor, um, Diane Campbell and Anish Euler. And they both adopted me as like their adopted son and took care of me. Like one the niece um, actually bought a Nintendo. <laughs> it would kind of like corral me into her house, come play the Nintendo, and so she can watch me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, she would take me down to the beach, and was, she was actually a really amazing lady. Uh, I still call her. She's still my mom. She lives in uh, Las Vegas uh, now, and um, Diane has now since passed away when my oldest son was in kindergarten. I think she was about 75. Uh, her older son, I still call my brother. I still talk to him. He's up in there, up in the East Bay right now. So you guys developed very close relationships. So they were kind of role models for you. Yeah. No, no, definitely. Um, just the way they just took me in. And uh, I remember Diane teaching me to read and helping me out with school. And if I got sick, she'd come out. I remember senior year of high school, I got strep throat. And uh, the teachers wouldn't let me uh, go home. I mean, I had a body rash. My throat was swollen. And she actually had to come to school to get me out. And she, I remember her yelling at the teachers uh, pretty bad to let me out. But with her help, though, I graduated honors at, in high school. <laughs> oh wow so so let me ask you so throughout throughout high school what were the high school years for you like and um i know you developed you're very close to your father and how did that how did you go so close to your dad you guys have such a, a very loving relationship i mean how did that did that transpire over time has it always been that way um i think it's uh, I, I think it's always been that way because wherever he went i went and when he spoke to me he spoke to me like a man it wasn't like a, like a dad talking down to a kid and I had respect for him. I, I, I realized he, every time he was going through a hardship, he really shared it with me and said, you know, these are things he was struggling with, you know, I mean, if was making rent, um, any little thing that was going on in his life, he really, and he made my opinion matter. Like he, like even starting to surf school and, you know, he had a chance to, um, basically he had a job opportunity in North Carolina. He used to write books. And he made like a clean system for the the C. I say it's called a bypass machine, I believe. 
And they wrote a whole bunch of books on over in Atlanta and he had to leave for a while, but then they offered him a job in North Carolina, probably about when I was 15 or 16. And basically he had an opportunity to move there and make a whole bunch of money back then, probably about 250,000 a year. And he's like, hey, we can, I can take a job. You can have all the surfboards you want. We have to move to North Carolina or you and I can start a surf school right here uh, in Seal Beach. What do you want to do? And uh, so I started a surf school. He's all, you know, we could be broke for a while. Are you okay with that? And I said, we've been broke this long. It'd be okay. <laughs> so make so, what, so how old were you when, when your father started, when you guys started the surf school? How old were you guys? So we got our business license with the city uh, in 1995. So I, was, I just turned 18. Um, but we were already teaching school before that when the city wanted to partner up with us. That's probably about 14 or 15. So how, how did that transpire? Because there's so many, you know, there's so many surfing. There's a bunch of people that have surfing schools and there's yeah. a bunch of people that teach lessons. How did they, how did that transpire? Because what the competition was probably pretty tough. Why did the city feel like they could come to you and mm -hmm. say, Hey, we, we want, we want to partner with you. Well, I don't, I don't think there was that many surfing schools back then. Um, there was actually, I don't, I'm not sure who, uh, who was even around. Maybe, maybe Corky Carroll. I, I don't even think so. Um, we were already down there teaching people. And people from Seal Beach liked us there, except for the locals. The locals didn't like us teaching the people. But my way was to say, hey, they're going to be out here whether you like it or not. We're just going to kind of take them out of your way and help them understand what's going on out here. Until they develop where you, there, people aren't getting beat up. I mean, back in the 80s and 90s, it was, it was a little rough on the water. It still kind of is in some places, you know. And uh, they didn't like the school being there for a while, but the city loved it. I and mean, all, the, all the people in Seal Beach loved it. Um, it. You know, it kind of started off with my dad just teaching our friends. And we had so many friends, and my dad started teaching my friends on how to surf. We'd, every week, we'd be down there surfing. And then eventually, that came up as a... Uh, the old lifeguard, the Seal Beach lifeguard, um, helped my dad. Um, I'm kind of forgetting the guy's name right now, but he was, uh, he was an amazing guy. He passed away about three years ago. He was an old uh, chief of lifeguards down there. So how did that, like you said, uh, there's a, like you said, they didn't like it. Uh, what is the dynamic out in the ocean where why wouldn't people like people out there? Or non-locals, oh. as you would say. Because a lot of people don't know about the surfing culture, so you can... Oh, kind of yeah. de demystify it, <laughs> I guess, for people. So, I mean, it can get pretty dangerous. Um, so they, you have waves all over the beaches. There's waves everywhere. But sometimes the locals will uh, like to sit off the pier a little bit. And that's where, you know, people say, oh, that must be where the best waves are. And so they'll kind of migrate behind the surfers. And, you know, they got these big, heavy boards, light boards. And they're going pretty fast down these waves. And people kind of have a tendency to kind of sit in the break zone where the waves break and, you get too many people in the area, it just becomes very dangerous. Um, uh, and so the only way people can communicate, like for people to move out of their way is to get angry at them. And, and it, it say they run you over, they break a fin or their board hits you. They put a hole in their board. They're more concerned about their board and breaking the fin than worried about, Hey, are you okay? And there's no signs out there saying, Hey, you should be over here. Don't be right behind swimmers. No one really understands that. It's these guys are on these waves. And I was like, yeah, it's you get in their way. They get really upset. I and mean, there's so many different stories of people going to localized spots where you get in someone's way, not knowing you, you interfered with them or whatever it was. 
and it, it got pretty brutal where they, you know, damage your board, beat you up or something. It, it got crazy. So now, I mean, they, they, after a while, they accepted your dad and you teaching out there. So you kind of, you guys are kind of like an institution out there. Now everybody kind of knows this is kind of your area. And, and, and it sounds like they support it too, because all the stuff you do guys, all the stuff that your school does with kids with disabilities and mm. you guys teach everybody. So, I mean, is it a lot? Are you accepted a lot more now than before? Oh yeah, a lot of the guys that were um, really angry. I, I talked to all the time. I, I still remember them back in the eighties and nineties how angry they were. And then I, you, I think either kids and their grandkids that come to the school. <laughs> it's, it's pretty that complete circle. Um, but they still get grumpy. Other you know people being behind them. You know they call, people they call kooks. You know it's like it's it's a it's a mother's beach though. It's it, it, you know you really can't any beach break you really can't treat like that but you know people want their wave they want to look a certain way or feel a certain way or have a good wave you know you want people to get your way but that's helping them understand is a little bit better so that's why i hope you facilitate by saying here you don't want to be here when the wave breaks there kind of thing <laughs> so what did you do when you wanted to get out of high school so you did well in high school what was the next step for you, you were teaching at, at your surf school and what did you decide to go in the military and what was your kind of transition from high school so let's see here it was work I, I i wanted to work and the only way you know in my mind was you had to get a, a higher degree go to college and uh you know of course we didn't have a lot of money so i was working at rouse i was a uh i was a journeyman meat cutter for rouse um for a while um and so i was trying to go to school golden west college i played soccer there taking classes you know just kind of trying to do that and also working at surf school at the same time. And, you know, 18, you, you, it's like, you're sitting there and like, are you sure this is what you want to be for the rest of your life? I'm good at this. Um, my mind wasn't completely made up on teaching surfing or how people view it. Um, such as like, now I, I see how it helps people conquer fears, um, helps them mentally, physically, um, so many different ways. And, so many different anxieties out there mental health wise but back then i didn't really see that but it was hard to make money like i wanted my own money and meaning that i was trying to pay rent help my dad out my dad really wasn't paying me then you know going to school it's you know you want to i want a career i had a girlfriend you know there's everyone kept telling you oh there's no career in surfing you know no banks want to loan you money for surfboards you know to get a bigger house uh, they're all that ah, there's no money in that and so I wanted something on my own. And so that's when I, and I joined the military. Um, and I think I, I, there's like three different reasons why I joined the military. Um, one was, of course, for a girl. Um, second one was one to have my own thing I call mine and feel like I, I, I was be, doing something good with my life. Both my great grandparents were uh, in the military. They were both Navy corpsmen. Um, and just, you know, I, always, I wanted to go to the military since I was 16, actually. And I kept trying to apply uh, for the military, but, you know, my, I kept getting called for school. My dad kept saying, Hey, um, I need you for one more summer, one more summer. And I said, all right. And eventually, uh, the last one was that the, I was getting ready to sign up and my dad sees you for one more summer. So the last time I signed up, I didn't tell him I was going, I just kind of signed up on my own. And, uh, the day the band got there to pick me up, to take me to maps. I said, Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm leaving today and I'll see you in about four years. I love you. <laughs> his face was so shocked. I felt so bad. He knew I was going to go, but he just didn't know when. 
<laughs> I don't want him to talk me out of it again because I love him. I want to be there for him. And uh, he married a young lady that kind of stood between us. And uh, she was able to manipulate situations where uh, it made my father distrust people. And it kind of hurt my heart in between us where, you know, all my life I've never taken anything from my father. And um, I, rem I remember uh, she accused me of stealing $5,000 from my dad. And my dad really, he believed her. And it hurt, it hurt my heart thinking that he would. And it, of course, he eventually found that, 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 that money, but for him to even insinuate that I stole that money or thought I might have taken it, uh, just, you know, that's nothing good's going to come out of that. So that was, that was a gateway to the military. And then how, what was your experience like in the Navy? How long were you in the Navy for? I was in the Navy for seven years and my experience was amazing. Um, I would, I don't regret any part of it. There were some bad things, but I, I focused on all the, the positive things. Like I, I literally surfed around the world on your dollar. <laughs> like I was able to find a way to get my board around the world. And I, I had so many from Japan to the Virgin Islands. Uh, the East Coast, uh, South America. It was amazing. Um, so, so what was your job title? Like, what was the experience? You said it taught you a lot. What did it like? What were the positive things it taught you? And then, how did you go about doing the surfing? I mean, did you buy a board everywhere you went? No, I, I had a sponsor still. Um, <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a good one. So, what it taught me was responsibility. It, ta it taught me, like, when, when you're told to get up and go, this is your job and you're, you're, you have to wake up every day and this is what you're, you're supposed to do. You do it. I became a Navy corpsman and uh, before that you had to go through boot camp and you're going through these different things where it's like you develop a bond with people. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sentimental kind of guy and even leaving boot camp, I got I got sad. I kind of liked it. <laughs> it gave me discipline. It gave me structure. The structure I think I needed in my life. Structure I never had before. Um, bonds I never had with people before. The the closeness that you have with people, um, especially being overseas. When I was overseas for like almost six years. Um, the people like you had surrogate fathers. You had captains. Um, that were that were amazing. Treated like like your their son and uh, always had your back on things. And yeah, I, I, I was an E5. I was a sent class petty officer. I picked up five ranks in five years. Wow. What, what, what does a corpsman do? Corpsman is a medic. So the medic is basically the doctor. Um, you're, you're, you're taking soap notes when people get injured, you're helping them out. Um, anytime you have a, a medical cover, so in case something goes wrong, um, and you have people that have like anaphylaxis shock, uh, like, uh, say they have an allergy to something or, you know, somebody takes a, a bullet, you're, you're, you're there to stop the bleeding, stop whatever, you know, just the, the I want to say the basic stuff, but it's not basic. So you're also prescribing the medicine when you're like underway. I had, uh, I had Marines that would actually bring their kids to my, my, my room when I was sleeping and tell me, ask me to take care of them and had a fever. And. Legally, I'm not allowed to do that. So the only thing I tell them is to go to uh, the ER, take your kid. I'm only allowed to help you out, not your kids. Um, 
Yeah. So how, what 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 countries did you go to? And you said you had a sponsor still. So were you sponsored at like 18 years old when you before you went to the military? So you were you sponsored to compete? Uh, yeah. So I, I I did compete. I competed for a long time. I started uh, competing uh, probably I don't know 10 or 11. They had a, a thing called the NSA Explorer Series. What I did first. And I want to say it's like in sixth grade. I don't know. What are you like? 11, 11, 10 or 11. And uh, we did, I did Explorer Series. And uh, I remember doing my first contest. I, I, I broke my nose. I, was, I had my leash on the side of me. It was down at 9th Street, Huntington Beach, north side of the pier. And uh, running into the water, as I ran into the water, I, uh, my leash caught right from my feet and fell right on my face in front of my uh, – I had a girlfriend back then. Her name was um, – Tiffany Newman, she was right there watching as I smashed my face on the sand, paddled out, and got dead last. <laughs> Fourth place. <laughs> so you, so you competed from the age of fifteen all the way through eighteen, and then you got you, you were good enough that somebody actually sponsored you then. Yeah, I was. I had a few, had a few guys I kind of rode for. Um, uh, Bruno was for a while. Uh, I, I even rode with uh, Ryan Sakel for a little bit from Sakel Surfboards. Um, uh, Eletic Surfboards was now, uh, it was actually uh, Greg Jensen for a while. Um, and, but Bruno was my, uh, I, I ride for Jeremy Lebro now. But yeah, it was, uh, Bruno's for a long time. I rode for him from like, uh, I want to say like 98 to not too long ago. Um, he, he moved to Venice and it's hard to get a board shape. He used to shaper all the pros on Kauai back in the nineties, an amazing shaper. Um, but as, as he'd send me boards out, like as in Japan. And so he'd send me four or five boards at a time. And I just, I, I would take him to local shops. See if we can put them in there so we can sell them. Um, I'd take him with me where he just fed X to me wherever I was at. <laughs> so, so, so you said, you know, what countries have you been to and, when you were surfing, what what did you, what do you like about surfing? What do you get out of it? What kind of enjoyment do you get out of it? What do you get out of it personally and professionally? When you were when you when you were that age, when I was that okay. So when I was younger, um, the, the, I didn't go to too many countries when I was younger. Uh, Mexico was the the big one. Like I said, we didn't have no money. I had a buddy that used to, his mom had a his grandmother basically lived down in um, like K thirty eight. And so we would drive down there in the 90s and go surf from like Tijuana all the way down to Los Gaviotas, um, down to Ensenada pretty much, um, two or three times a year. Uh, that, was a, that was a highlight of that. You know, again, the, the, the little fireworks down there blowing up uh, horse poop on the beach <laughs> was our highlight at yeah, like 13. Um, kind of surfing all of California. Uh, never went to the East Coast uh, when I was younger. Um, and then high school, it was, it was, it was unique as we got into high school. I, I, I kind of faded away from, uh, the surf team. We had, a uh, old PT, Peter Townsend, and I don't want to put him on blast. Um, so I'll, I'll try to be, um, fair about this. Um, but I kind of had a heartache and I was young. I was like a freshman, a sophomore in high school. And he used to make us like chant the criteria of a surf uh, contest and run like lifeguard, lifeguard tower. And. Yeah, the old Australian accent, oh, PT for the Bud Potua. All right, class, here we go. He was, um, he was really, but he was very, um, leathered, very just hard. And, 
I remember having a, we had a, a tryout and I remember trying out for the surf team at Golden West. It was a high tide day and pretty much uh, had a, a really good heat for some bad waves. And I felt that I won the heat. And um, as I come in, my last wave, I, you know, doing it straight air was pretty big back then. You know, these 360 airs you see now, it's just not, innovation wasn't really part of it. It was all about power in the critical part of the wave. And basically, I, I did a 360 uh, floater onto the, onto the sand and i thought it was like an amazing finish and uh he got off the board and he comes running up to me and says you know pretty much i'm not gonna use the words he used but uh that kind of uh, kelly slater surfing will never win a surf contest wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to i'm not gonna i'll leave it at that <laughs> yeah i think that says it all i think it says it, it all. put me on the b team so i got kind of like disgruntled and it, it kind of hindered my surfing because it's all prideful and so i I, I just I, I I dropped out of the surf team. And I just kept doing the the PSA surf contests and the CCSAs. And it was hard because you know there was no money in it back then. It was just you had friends. We'd sleep in the car. If you had a friend down in San Diego, you go hang out at their house if you had somebody. And the network was so hard back then to to get it going. Um, but the so but the, the other question you're asking about is was about the the countries. Um, all the way from Japan to Indonesia. Um, I wasn't in the military at that time. I went to Indonesia, but Japan I was. Uh, some of South America, down by Colombia, down to Africa by Seychelles. Um, not too much of the East Coast surfing. Um, I got to Fort Lauderdale one time, and I actually scored some pretty good waves, I guess, for uh, Fort Lauderdale. It was about three to four foot shore breaks, just perfect little barrels in like, I don't know, eight degree water. Only surfer out there had a great time. That was about it. Uh, Virginia Beach never got to surf there. Tried there. Um, I got the Virgin Islands pretty good uh, by myself. Um, the Virgin Islands was really interesting. Is I don't know the name of the beach. I call, always call it Bear Bay, but it's on the backside of St. Croix. Um, there used to be a little bar on the beach and Basically, the bar, there's a little bar, and the lady told me that there's a, an island off the backside of St. Croix that generates a wind tunnel that filters the air through that little canyon, causing the waves. And the waves are pretty amazing, actually. They told me the day before uh, a young lady broke her neck out there, some guy broke their arm. You can't really see because the waves are breaking so far out there. You really couldn't tell how big the waves are. But I got out there and really enjoyed myself uh but it's kind of bummer surfing by yourself in perfect waves it's it's you want to share it with somebody well uh, is it is it when you're out there and i'm going to get to this later is it scary when you're surfing by yourself in case something were to happen out there you always like to have a surfing buddy with you but what kind of goes through your mind when you're out there and why do you enjoy surfing so much all right so it's it's quiet it's quiet you're um it's there's so many different sports where you feel free um you, you're connecting with mother nature and you know it's uh, it's, it's a really there, there's a there's a word they use called stoke and it's explained that stoke is um is like if you can go back to like when you remember going to your, your brand new class you know, every year you got a new, you know, you got a new class and you're always going to the little window to see what class you're going to be in the next year and see if one of your best friends are in that class with you. And you see your best friend's name on the board. And you're like, yes, 
yes, he's in the class with me. That's close, but I don't know. Like that, that, that feeling you feel free and you feel alive. Your drilling's pumping. Um, and you're going down the wave and just you, and the noise the wave makes. And, and then when you start to like, just ride down that, the, the, the freedom, like, I guess some people explain like on a motorcycle, I never, I don't ride motorcycles, but they feel free when they're on a motorcycle or they're out mountain bike riding, they're going down the train, jumping, just different things, pushing that limit, maybe skydiving that, 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 in, that drilling as you're, as you're going and you're, you're kind of in control, but you're not in control. And like mother nature is always there where you're not really thinking about the consequences. If things go wrong, you're thinking about how everything's going to go right. So let me ask you this. So we're going to, I'm going to get to this. Usually I, I always get to this about 30 minutes in and this is, this is the same, this, this podcast is going the same way. And um, after the military, you came back yeah, and, and you started working with your dad, you decided to go ahead and get into the surfing school full-time as a business. Right. Um, did you have kids at the time? I did not. No. And I so, a- so what made you, what made you finally make that final leap to say, I'm going to go ahead and, and do this with my dad and, did you, did you maintain that close close relationship with your dad? And did you guys kind of make amends after that issue with the money? And Oh, yeah. No, he uh, – so after being six years overseas, um, and I finally get back, I had a knee injury uh, for a long time. had no idea. I had a couple of injuries in the military that, you know, just you kind of blow it off and you don't, you don't think about it when you're in the military. So I was coming back to get what they call fixed. Then going to head back and um, – Basically, I, I just had knee surgery, and my dad came up to visit me, and uh, he has brand-new Nissan Blue Z. He was so happy with that. I just was renting a house on the beach in Ventura, a great surf spot. It was called uh, Shipwrecks. It's a localized spot, but I loved it there. I just bought a BMW X5. Woo! So I had all this stuff on my own. I was super excited about it, but I wasn't happy. And I was actually kind of going through a little bit of depression at the time. And he came up there and he, he, we took a ride to Ventura in his car. Yeah, my crutches, you know, sitting in a little Z. And uh, we're talking. He's like, hey, you know, you, you told me that you're only going to do uh, four years. You're going to get back here and help me with, uh, with surf school. He's like, you're going on seven years now. Um, you know, I, I was kind of prideful. I said, I'm not really wanting to come back, Dad. You know, I, I'm really good at this. You know, I picked up five ranks in five years. And. I'm just amazing. You know, I, I, I love what I do. I feel like I have something on my own. And, you know, and the truth is I, uh, we had dinner and that night I, I, I prayed on it. And uh, as I prayed on it, I, I, I literally all my life, I prayed to God about different things. But this, I prayed on getting out of the military and uh, asked God if, if it's it time for me to get out to show me, show me a, a thing to get out. And that's what I, basically what happened was the very next day, um, they called me in and said, Hey, uh, while you were deployed, you guys had three class A mishaps or five class A mishaps, but three, they felt I could have done something about it or whatever, but you're under investigation, but you know, all those different things you, you weren't supposed to transfer. You weren't supposed to pick up rank and you were, you know, you're supposed to stay there until the, the investigation is done, which, you know, they, they found there was nothing. I didn't do anything wrong, but, um, they said, so what you got to do, you're, you're, re, you're re-enlisted. So you got to re-enlist again. And I didn't like the command I was at. So basically, they uh, said you can either get out or re-enlist for five more years. And I said, oh, wow, that's an easy one. I don't want to be in this command for five more years. So I'd like to get out. And I said, well, what I got to do? 
Notice hands your, your military card. I promise as the very next day after my dad was up there, <laughs> I go, here's my card. Have a great day. And I, and I walked away. They said, wow. and I walked back 30 days later. And so I came back to the house. Uh, it was amazing. Um, my dad was still married to that lady. Um, they actually, after I got back, they ended up going through a divorce. And she took everything. Um, and it took a second on the house. And it was pretty rough for the you know, first two years. But as well, because my dad and I rebonded again. It was like back right where we first started, not having anything, and rebuilding it all over again together. That's that amazing. Really enjoyed it. So and how did? I, so but, let me ask you this: You, you start. You you have like I don't know how many how many surfboards do you have right now? Personal or for the school? Both. <laughs> so I carry personally. Uh, Three, it wouldn't even matter. They're all about six foot boards, but they're all a little bit different. I have three short boards myself. And I have, I keep uh, two different long boards, one like a nine six and one like a, a we call mid lake, about seven six. And then and how the, many, how, how many student boards do you have? <laughs> um, well, I break a lot of them. So after last summer, I think we broke about 15 one summer, but I keep down, I want to say close to about a uh, hundred boards down at the beach and probably close to um, 300 boards, but we had a slight accident this year. We are, our storage unit got broken into. I, I heard about, yeah, that's, it breaks my heart. <laughs> if someone would steal those. Yeah. That's so just, there's about 300 boards normally. So about 300 boards we try to keep on hand, you know, you know, you find a good deal on boards, you're able to buy some boards, you, you accumulate some money, you, you kind of find some boards you like and you, you put them away for a little bit as you break boards, you kind of rotate them in. And so let me ask you this. So you're, you're so successful at this. I know you run this with your dad and your dad is down there at the beach with you almost every day you're there and you have such a drive with kids. You're so good with kids, with adults, with, as I said, stated before, you also help people with disabilities as well. You get along with everybody, but I know it's just like a, a, a large group of kids there and you're managing all this, uh, when you're bringing them out in the ocean, um, what are some of the things that people, if they want to get into surfing, what are some of the th things that people need to be mindful of before they, if they have fears of the ocean, like you said, anxiety, what are some of the things that they can do to get over those things, those fears? <laughs> the only way to get over a fear is to confront the fear head on. Um, I'm not talking about uh, you got a fear of a shark to jump into a shark pit. I mean, that's what you want to do. But I'm talking like, with the ocean, not being comfortable in the ocean. You really just got to get out there. But you, you know, you got to be mindful of the how big the waves are. I'm not talking if you're up in like where you're living up in like by Pacific Beach and you're sitting there and you you paddle on a, on a big winter day and you're like, oh, this is just too much. For you. Yeah, you're no, you're right. Um, knowing the conditions, so you know, just you know, starting off slow, you're getting right out there. I mean, but the only way you can get over is by going to the beach, dealing with the waves, uh, you know, people get afraid of drowning. I have a girl right now. Um, I'm not going to mention her name, but she's, uh, been coming down. She has a handicap, um, uh, like a cerebral palsy almost. And her first lesson was about, um, six months ago. And she's got such a beautiful heart and she just started crying on the, on, on the water. And that's what she was, is on a bucket list. She wanted to get over that fear. And I had no, she didn't even tell me that. Uh, we get we get down the water and it wasn't really that big of a day, but it's a stormy day. Just the clouds can get out of that ambiance. You know, the water was kind of choppy a little bit. It just wasn't inviting. And she was actually 
down the water today. Um, but with cerebral palsy, she only has control. It wasn't cerebral, I forgot the name of it, but she only has control of one side of her body. So she's out there paddling. And I just watch her on the beach and just watch her smile. She lays down the, on the surfboard and just rides it in on her belly. And she catches away by herself now and just out there just cruising around, helping other people out in the water. They're scared. It's, it's amazing. But you just got to get out there and just know it's going to be okay. And, like, the conditions are the biggest ones. Yeah, I, that's what I love about you. You you have so much passion about what you do and it's so obvious you love what you do and all those kids they can see it because you actually are so invested in their success you're not you're not just you don't just talk the talk you walk it and a lot i remember a lot of times you'll say hey you know what um hey even if uh, you don't pay for a lesson come out here and i'll help you out or i'm gonna serve i'm you know you're so invested in everyone's success and them getting over that fear that mm. it's not a you're not driven by money you're driven by your passion for helping others and for what you do and what you give back to the community. And what are some of those dangers that we always think about that are lurking under the water? Have you ever had to face any of those? Uh, what kind of uh, animals have you had to deal with out there? Uh, so I've stingrays are the, the number one, you know, fear of Southern California um, and sharks, I guess, you know, a lot of, cause we're not doing the, the gill nets anymore since 1984 and the influx of them, but there's, they're always there, but I've, I've run into a shark in Mexico. Um, and that's kind of like, um, when you're not doing anything bad, but you know, you feel like you're being bad or, you know, you're like, oh, I just, I, I don't, something doesn't feel right. Like here's a great example. You're at a stoplight. Um, and your phone's ringing, and a cop pulls up next to you. And you're trying to pretend that phone's not ringing, you don't want to answer it, and you're trying not to look at the cop next to you. That's like being in the water with a shark. You just don't want to look at it. You just want <laughs> <laughs> to make a left right here. <laughs> was, it a, was it a big shark, or are they typically big sharks? I don't. I couldn't tell you the exact measurement. So I was down at uh, K59, down at La Fonda. It's a big cliff. And uh, the day before, the waves were probably about four to five. And there were some dolphins perched out by the cliff on the far side. And uh, it was nice. I had a really good day. It was a, little, it was a struggle to get out. We had North Swell down there. So it was picking up pretty good, nice long rights. The next day we got there and the waves got a little bit bigger. And it actually literally took me about a 45 minutes to paddle out. There was so much like just currents, turbulence going on on the water. And I get out there. I'm, I'm kind of drained after 45 minutes. And where the dolphins are perched, I see this dorsal probably about, I don't know, maybe five inches out of the water and this little thing behind it kind of like swimming by like you know how the tail of the, of the shark kind of pushes it along and i see how peripheral my eyes and i don't really want to look at it set rolls in right then there i turn around i start paddling in i catch the wave i ride it in and uh the other guy that was actually out there confirmed that's what it was and when, when you get in that situation even big waves, they seem a lot bigger than they really are. I, I'll, I'll tell you, it's a 30 foot shark. <laughs> it probably is like maybe 10 foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks, and then what, and you said, in, in how about how about in Southern California when you're out there teaching? Do you kind of, I know you check the waves in the morning. Um, do you check to see what kind, do you keep people away from the stingrays and what kind of things do you do to prevent that so that people, I know one of the fears is that, hey, you know what? it's one thing to be afraid of the ocean, right? Because that's one fear. And then the other fear is 
we always think about sharks or how do you help people to get through that? Well, we talk about it. You, you, you got to, it's like understanding, like, I, I don't want to drown by a wave. Okay. I, I hear that. Well, how long can you hold your breath for? And most people say, I can hold my breath for like 30 seconds or 40 seconds. All right. Well, the average wave, especially at Seal Beach, will last you five seconds. And can you hold your breath for five seconds? Yes. Is that hard? No. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you to do is be able to hold your breath. Well, I don't want to hit by the board. I'm going to teach you how to cover up. And, you know, yeah, the board's going to want to hit you, but just take your time. Don't come up and don't get complacent on the water. Sharks, you can kind of do a ratio. How many shark sightings have you seen in Seal Beach? Um, And the answer is going to be none. I I think the only thing I've seen that is in Seal Beach that scared me was a whale. Um, Grace and the whale. And he was huge. And they actually have a book on him. (laughs) But he came by the pier and he I, I started thinking like Moby Dick. Uh, Pinocchio, Jonah the whale, is he gonna swallow me, take me somewhere? <laughs> so you saw a whale out there. Was it? Were you cl- pretty close to it? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's right off the pier, like right in the surf, like right in the break zone. Um, that's uh, like a lot of whales ca- kind of come by there as they're migrating north. Um, wow. And so, uh, there. Yeah. Uh, if I if I find that book, Grayson, I think there, I, I know somebody still has it. I'll, I'll send you a copy. What about dolphins? Lots, lots of dolphins. Yeah, lots of lots of dolphin seals. And there's seal life out there a lot. Not a lot. I mean, I know Seal Beach is known as Seal Beach, but not there's not so many seals out there. Out in the boating traffic, a little bit further out. They like the lot cooler water. Um, we have a lot warmer water than they pay like. Um, so, what are you? What's your recommendation when you enter the ocean, um, so you don't get bit by uh, stingrays or stung by stingray? Well, mm-hmm. my buddy has a great idea. Um, about that one later going around taking all of them out but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um shuffling your feet is a bit uh, walking softly uh, what happens is um the very first thing you want to look for is on the shoreline look for shells look for a lot of open shells um when you see a lot of shells on the beach um most of those shells like mussels clams oysters whatever um they're living creatures normally on the inside right you see those, like you eat them all the time as well but if you see them on the beach, that means there's someone's out there enjoying a buffet. Um, and most likely the, the things that are eating them are bottom feeders, such as stingrays. Uh, skates are also out there. So not everything you step on is a, is a stingray, but there's skates, there's um, sand sharks. Um, and of course, well, sharks are, or stingrays are part of shark family. But uh, the cool thing about sharks, like little baby white sharks, they eat all the stingrays. <laughs> that's it, that's it. So, but yeah, you just kind of shuffle your feet. You, first thing you do, you'll get out there and kind of push your feet along. And uh, have you ever got stung by? Have you ever got stung by one? Yes, plenty of times. <laughs> and, what, <laughs> and, and what do you usually do when you get stung with them? Stung by? Uh, if they take soak in hot water, it breaks down the protein. It's a protein based uh, based poison. Um, that seems to make my foot swell up really big. Um, always get it checked out. So I always go back to the first time I got stung by a stingray. It was 1988 um, on a Sunday. <laughs> all things, I'll never forget it. Um, I actually got the barb stuck in my foot. Uh, I jumped. It was a really small day. I jumped on the, off my board, fell on something. It felt like a trash bag. It was huge. And it flipped. It, it, it kind of the arms or the flappers kind of came up. And I felt a sharp stick in my foot. And uh, moved away. I had no idea what it was and it hurt for months. 
and not knowing the barb, the barb came out actually in Hawaii and it was probably a good three inches long. Oh but when you, get stung by the, the, you always want to get checked out by a professional, uh, make sure there's no barb stuck in it. Veterans um, the best for it for me. Uh, it thins my blood. It, it has a pain. There's three different pain areas for stingray. Uh, most of the time, if I, if I can hang out in the water, like uh, probably 80% of my stings aren't that bad. I can stay in the water and hang out. It hurts at first, hurts for a little bit. But then when you're in the water, just kind of after about 30 minutes, it kind of subsides. Sometimes it hits a vein and the poison gets in the vein. It'll creep up to your knee, pelvic area. Um, that's yeah that's i've heard i've heard people got they've actually been stung and then uh, they couldn't feel a portion of their foot and it's they it has never come back <laughs> sometimes so herbs or something like that yeah i can see that happening i've had yeah. a, a student one time get stung in the butt <laughs> and, uh, well let me ask you i got a, i got um some good rapid fire questions for you all right um uh, what is why is your father called the saint of seal beach the saint of seal he is called the St. Seal Beach because he's always been known to help out people um, forever. Homeless people at home, help them. Every time he saw somebody, he's always trying to help them out. Uh, he's down there just sharing the love, constant love. Um, you know, kids used to come up to him. Uh, he'd take them in the water, just let them borrow a board, whatever they wanted. Always just out there being friendly, just a great ambassador of surfing. And uh, I think back in the early 2000s to start calling the Santa Seal Beach. Just a great ambassador for him. Yeah, and they've done stories on him and, and he's kind of a legend down there. They painted pictures about your dad and so you're carrying that that uh you and him have quite a legacy down there. And what is what does surfing teach you? If you, mm -hmm. if you had to give me a couple things. Teach you a lot about yourself. If you have control issues you'll see it real quick. Uh it'll teach you um patience. It'll, t it'll teach you that you can overcome things that you don't think you can do. I'll never build it right away. Those things are too big. You get out there and it'll teach you a lot about who you really are. And what do you mean? Like if you, if you said you were saying the first thing about if you have, if you have confidence issues or if you're, what, what are some of the things you said that are very apparent? Like you said, mental, me mental health wise, you were talking about that earlier. Blue water. So the negative ions, the blue water, it's, uh, yeah, you get a feeling, and the feeling of like this, of of like of having like the best day ever, of of this of this joy that fills your soul, and uh, just being out there and being free with Mother Nature just has a great impact on your well being, or the stressors in life, and just this, um, you know, all these different like negatives coming at you all day long can kind of hinder you and you people don't take time for themselves anymore it's like a, it's like the treadmill of life of just like you know always on the go i gotta go on the go like my wife's a great example she quit surfing because we had kids you know she's got to work and she does different things and just our weekends are filled with baseball soccer uh homework every night you know and taking care of the kids and um when you're out there and you got to take an hour two hours you know a, at least a week for yourself just get out and just go do something and yeah, i love, I love yeah. that and it's free once you learn to do it it's free the ocean's there you know we talk about this pollution and warmer warm global warming different things and it's uh it's important to know that you have something right there every day where you like you go skiing you're gonna spend a thousand dollars trying to ski. 
So um, what is the biggest challenge of learning surfing? Mm. The biggest challenge is overcoming uh, your own fear or your own inabilities to to think about something, just to stand up and go do something. Um, the, the, the challenges for people are like going, okay, once you get beyond yourself, it's catching the waves. Catching the wave, trying to time that wave, time your paddle to that wave. And that, that, that challenge is actually really easily overcome once you understand how to finesse the board. Um, what do you like about being a father? <laughs> Making a, a better you. Uh, no, it's uh, watching the, <laughs> the kids, the personalities, how much of like you see yourself in your child. Um, and just give them everything. you. I, I didn't have a lot. So given my son, my sons are, to me, are super spoiled. And I just want to be there for them. I know my dad wasn't there. I know my dad did the best he could do for me. And I want to do, I want to do more. My, even, my, even when I was growing up, my dad coached my baseball team. I'm doing that for my kids. And it's just so satisfying, like watching your kids have fun. I love watching them. Whatever makes them happy, I want to do it. And just hoping that they make the right decisions every day. And do your kids surf? They do surf. Do they like it as much as I do? Uh, I think they can leave or take it right now. You know, they're 11 and 11 and eight. Um, they're really good at it, but they just play so many different sports. I think it's, and we don't live by the beach. I live in Whittier. So it's, uh, it, it literally takes me a, an hour to drive to the beach some days. <laughs> so, and, that, and what do you want to be remembered for? Mm. That's a great question. I didn't even really thought about that. Oh, <laughs> you got me off guard on that one. Um, I, I really don't want to be remembered. Like for me doing something personally, I want Eminem to be remembered just as a, a place where as kids grew up or whatever they did, just a, a, as a, a great time in your life. You know, I, I get kids that come back now. I had a kid today, as a matter of fact, that, that book kook, uh, that Peter wrote about, uh, the guy Andy from the book, his name is Mark, came down today and brought his son. I haven't seen his son in 13 years. He's a man now, got a mustache. And he brought his, his wife down with him. It, was, it almost made me cry just to see how they grew up. And um, what a man. He's like, I remember coming down during the summers. You're just the coolest guy ever. You haven't changed one bit. You know, even though I'm 13, 15 years older, I haven't changed one bit. You look the same. Or <laughs> he's a man now. <laughs> And what would what would the older version of you tell the, the younger version of you advice wise? Um, things will get better. Um, try harder. Be good to everybody, and just just keep doing just being you. And then what's what's left on your bucket list? Mm, I've never been skydiving. I'm actually signed up for it. I've been putting it off right now. <laughs> I keep trying to visualize myself getting out of that plane and jumping. And I get this like weird sensation in my feet <laughs> of all the things. Hey, well, I want to tell you, thank you so much for being here, Michael. You are the best. And um, if anybody, uh, first I got to say is that uh, Brian, thank you so much for producing this. My producer, Brian uh, Garcia is amazing. And I want to, uh, is there any, if anybody wants to take surfing lessons, um, how would they get a hold of you? And you can give some information about your school. All right. Yeah. Um, go ahead and uh, you go to surfingschool.com. 
or you can look us up um m&m surfing school uh we're in seal beach california you can always call our uh, phone number 714 you go surf um and we're we're open 360 days a year hey i want to thank you so so much for being here michael it's just been a pleasure you're one of the most positive upbeat people i've ever met in my life and uh just thank you for just always supporting me and supporting everybody you're around you always push everybody to be their best and you always positive and um you know i've never heard you say anything uh that wasn't really really pushing people to be positive and, and live a good life and uh thank you so much for being here i'm, I'm very very appreciative thank you and well, I, uh i appreciate so much fig and i really hope to see you soon <laughs> yes yes absolutely and please join us for our next podcast and another amazing guest uh like michael and uh if you like the podcast go on to re review it on spotify or itunes and thank you so much until next time keep learning